Welcome to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. The podcast that covers all things about humans, technology, and particularly the bit in between. And welcome to this episode of 1202, the Human Factors Podcast with me, your host, Barry Kirby. Today's episode is continuing a theme that I started with Jill Poots a few episodes ago, looking at really the human issues involved in the agricultural sector. However, before we get into that, I would just like to um, announce that I'm really, really proud and really delighted to have been elected as president of elect of the Chartered Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors. And for the next 12 months, I will be president-elect supporting uh, Alex uh, Stedman in his year as presidency. And then in 23-24, um, I'll be president of the organisation. So I'm really, really keen to hear your thoughts and your ideas about what I should be doing in my year as president and what I can do now to prepare for that. Um, if you've been uh, had experience in, in this, sort of, uh, this sort of setup and you want to give me your words of wisdom of how you dealt with being a, um, um, a high, uh, high representative representative of, of an organisation, I'll be very delighted to hear from you. But if you're a, a member or you're even thinking about being a member, what would what could I do in my year of presidency to encourage you to join and encourage you to get more involved? Please do get in touch through any of the socials or, or an, um, an email or smoke signals, whatever. Just come and talk to me. Anyway, today's episode. As I've said previously, I've always been fascinated by the agriculture sector and even more so with the development of technology that's been utilised to really enable fewer people on a farm to do an awful lot more. From GPS-enabled tractors, the use of IoT technology, um, looking at things like air quality, soil quality, water quality, so so farmers can really use what is needed and when and being able to really optimise their time. It's not only just using what it's what it's uh, how it's used now, but actually how we uh, go and teach the, uh, the the farmers of tomorrow, those people involved in agriculture of tomorrow. So I'm really delighted today to be talking to John Owen, who is the farm and project manager at Gethlyaya, which is part of Colic Cigar, and they provide agriculture, forestry, countryside management, and land-based engineering courses. And John is here to give us a bit of an insight into the current use of technology and particularly IoT. So John, great to have you with us, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, buddy. So, John, could, obviously, I, I give you um, a title of your farm and project manager at Gethly, which people find your your LinkedIn. That's what your um, um, you put yourself up there as. But what is it you do on a day to day basis? Well, actually, Barry, my, my title is uh, no longer the farm manager. I did spend twenty five years managing the farms here at uh, Gethly. Uh, I'm now concentrating all my efforts on the project work and the development of technology within agriculture. So, um, although my roots are in sort of hands-on farming, I'm no longer sort of involved as much as I was in the day-to-day running of the farm. Right, okay. So, what, what sort of projects then do you get involved in and what sort of projects are you running? Well, people occasionally think of agriculture as being rather a sort of uh, a backward industry, but uh, that's far from the truth, uh, to be honest. We, we're involved uh, in a number of technology developments and the industry in general is involved in uh, very high-tech sort of developments uh, uh, and uh, the use of uh, IT, the use of satellite navigation, that sort of thing is coming more and more uh, uh, important in the industry. Personally here, we've concentrated our efforts uh, lately on environmental uh, development and uh, we're actually trying to improve efficiency uh, at the same time as actually improving sort of our uh, environmental footprint. 
Okay, so before we get stuck into the the main bits of what you're doing, can you just give us a for those who are unaware, what is Gethly Iyer and and how does that fit into the whole educational sphere? Well, the Gethly Iyer campus is one of five campuses from within the College Silgar College Caridigion Group. Uh, our sort of parent sort of uh, uh, um, institution is the University of St. Trinity St. David's as well. So it's sort of a well-established uh, sort of uh, um, further and uh, higher education uh, establishment. Cool. And for, for those of you who are in England, the idea of um, uh, College Cigar is actually um, Carmarthenshire College, effectively, just, in, just to do a, a loose translation. Um, so that that's cool. So what we're going to come and talk on to next is around the you know what what decision do people need to make in agriculture, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we'll come in. We'll come back into that um, straight after this break. You are listening to Twelve O Two, the Human Factors Podcast. We wanted to take the opportunity to say thank you for your support. You can help further by rating us through your podcast provider, sharing us through social media, and telling your friends and colleagues. Let's work together in raising awareness of the value in putting users at the center of what we do. And welcome back. And we're talking to John Owen from um, Gethly Eye of Colleague Cigar. John, we sort of talked about uh, sort of the, the premise I've put this on is is around technology and, and the technology input. But taking a step back, I mean, really, what we're doing is providing a whole lot of a, lo- a whole lot of data. Um, which normally, when people look at IoT and things like that, it's around helping people make decisions. I guess uh, you know, or more informed decisions that at, at that element. So. What decision making does do farmers need to do, or is, is it just farmers? Is there a broader audience here in agriculture? Well, we certainly have a broader audience, but sort of we're specifically working with with farmers in our current projects. And uh, uh, one of the projects that we're sort of developing at the moment is called uh, Towi Towi Weather. And weather has a very very important uh, uh, sort of uh, effect on agriculture and all of the operations within agriculture. And I don't think there's any other industry that relies so much on sort of uh, the weather uh, for the the outcomes in what is basically sort of food production. Um, so we're trying to produce food as cheaply and as efficiently as possible, um, and uh, uh, sort of knowing exactly what the weather is going to be doing is very very important uh, in that aspect. Uh, efficiency is the name of the game and uh, you know if uh, weather conditions are not right then you will lose efficiency on the inputs that you put into the uh, into the ground uh, and any inefficiency with the use of nutrients quite often uh, leads to in- environmental uh, contamination so we're custodians of the environment as farmers uh, the uh, long-term sort of healthy, sort of prolonged healthy lifetime of, a, of the land is really important to us. Uh, so really we're generally trying to sort of maintain sort of environmental uh, sort of conditions, uh, improve the quality of the land in order to improve our efficiency in food production. So when, when they come in and do this sort of decision-making then, is this something that you're doing months in advance? Um, or can it li- is it literally, you know, right, because of, this information I'm reading now on on this weather app, I 
I'm going to change what I'm doing today. Is it so? What, what sort of lead time are we talking about in terms of decision making? Well, as farmers and growers, we work to a calendar, Barry, and we, we, we predict sort of what operations sort of we're going to be doing based on that calendar year. Um, but actually, sort of our day to day sort of decisions sort of uh, uh, need to look at current conditions uh, and forecasts for the next four or five days. So the uh, app that uh, sort of we've uh, put together uh, um, is basically supporting farmers in their day-to-day operations right. uh, nice. and how they can efficiently apply nutrients to the ground um, sort of uh, in a very short time frame. Um, so there's an element of long-term planning and short-term planning and data driven decision making sort of is more related to the day-to-day decision making. So you talked about this weather app then. How how leading edge is that in the um, in the agriculture sector? Is it is everybody got it or is it are you pioneering in the in this respect? We're certainly pioneering in it. Sort of the technology that we're using is sort of available sort of world over, but it's actually applying it to a specific sort of purpose. Uh, and, and, and really, that's what we're developing sort of here is we're, we're applying it to uh, particular circumstances where livestock farmers can make use of the data capture uh, that's available generally uh, across the world. And what we're trying to do is to make that data available in a very, very simplistic, uh, quick to use format uh, and, and make it so that it can work alongside their overall nutrient management planning on the farm. They can capture the data, store that data, and use that data as part of their nutrient management planning. But they can also use it as part of their sort of compliance procedure uh, in, in, in the environmental aspect of, of their farming operations as well. Could you just tell us a bit more about that compliance aspect? What what do they have to comply with? Well, the sort of legislations sort of within agriculture as there are with uh, most industries. And certainly environmental contamination is one of those things that we have to adhere uh, against. Uh, so uh, misuse of, of homegrown nutrients, slurries, if you like, uh, um, and if that ends up in the water cost, that then could lead to prosecution. And more importantly, to environmental sort of uh, damage within the rivers and loss of uh, life within the rivers as well, if it's not handled properly. So, what, if we apply technologies, these IoT technologies, and I guess other ones as well, which we'll come on to, what advantages does that give farmers? Well, it's all about efficiency, as I said, Barry. Is really sort of, you know, we we uh, as livestock producers have a lot of homegrown farm nutrients. Sort of call it farm farmyard manure, if you like, or call it slurry. Uh, and to make the best use of those nutrients, sort of, uh, they have to be applied at the right time. Uh, when uh, the uh, nutrients are applied to the crop, the crop has to be in a situation where it can actually make use of those nutrients. Otherwise, that those nutrients are just floating around in the, the soil and can be sort of washed away uh, if the crop doesn't take, uh, take up those nutrients. So how are you using this sort of technology to teach students about um, about what they should be doing as farmers? What, what sort of what, what sort of interaction do the students get with what you're doing? Well, uh, you know, the farm and the uh, academic campus are based on the same site. Uh, we look at the farm as our uh, lab, 
um, if you compare it to other sort of uh, uh, um, scientific sort of teaching establishments. Uh, so they can discuss it in class one minute and step out through the door straight onto the farm and actually see it in operation. That's really impressive. It's going to give a real... Um, a real application point for them, um, especially with it seems to be up and down the UK that a lot of um, these ag- agricultural colleges seem to be either closing or restricting their activities. So it's really impressive that you're um, pushing this sort of technology stuff forward. Yeah, I believe you know sort of it, uh, the research and development work that we do is our shop window, if you like. Uh, this is how we engage with the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, when the industry then sort of starts to look for uh, colleges for their sons, daughters, and employees to come and learn, then they'll have seen the research and development work that we're involved with, and hopefully that will uh, sort of persuade them in order to send their uh, youngsters or sort of uh, mm-hmm. uh, so mature sort of learners uh, to us as well. How popular? Is agriculture as a um, as as a courses for learning for for young people nowadays? Because it it seems to have been that it's gone on the decline over a number of years. But is, are you seeing any sort of change in that sort that you know where people want to engage? Well, agriculture does offer plenty of opportunities, sort of well paid opportunities, and that actually is quite sort of different to most people's perspective of the industry. Uh, the, the, there are sort of all levels of employment within agriculture from sort of uh, very scientific based sort of research opportunities uh, all the way down to sort of the more practical element of, uh, uh, of, of the farming operation. So there's something for everybody there. Uh, and actually they can be very, very well paid sort of uh, opportunities as well. And everybody likes stuff that's well paid. So that's always good. The... You mentioned um, the the weather app as one, but what other technologies are you getting involved with uh, there on the farm? Well, our current sort of main project uh, is called the uh, Toei Farm Nutrient Partnership. It's a smart expertise project, um, and we're very, very proud to have been the first further education establishment to be uh, awarded smart expertise funding. The way the smart expertise works is it works in conjunction with commercial sort of partners alongside the research establishment. Um, And it's a shared responsibility project so that for every pound that we can draw down from our commercial farmers and then uh, Welsh government then will match that pound for pound. uh, And that goes towards the research on behalf of all of the partners involved in the project. So I feel it's a, it's a great funding model, and I think it's a model that should be adopted mm-hmm. sort of wider and could well be something that Welsh Government could be looking at post sort of European-funded uh, research development projects like this. That sounds fascinating as a funding model. What sort of technologies is that bringing through for you? Well, we're working with uh, eight partners in all. Uh, um, there are four multinational companies with sort of billions of pound turnover uh, involved in the project. Um, The benefit of working with those multinational companies is that we then have exposure overseas. And a lot of the work we do here is as applicable sort of uh, uh, overseas as it is to the Welsh agricultural sort of industry as well. So it's great exposure working with these larger companies. We're also working with uh, UK-based and Welsh-based companies as well. 
And hopefully, by working with those more local companies, we're able to encourage further employment within the industry. Uh, sort of once the new technology we develop um, becomes mainframe and is sort of adopted on farms in the locality. I even hear a vicious rumour that you're producing your own drinking water. Are you very close to producing your own drinking water? We are closer than we ever uh, envisaged at the start, Barry. Um, we have taken the first uh, total bacteriology count of the uh, last stage of the treatment now. And the water that we're generating from the treatment process uh, is as clean as what uh, the company who sampled the water for us uh, sees on a day-to-day -day basis in cattle drinking troughs. So the aim uh, originally was to get the water to a recyclable quality, uh, to a discharge quality, I beg your pardon. We're now we, we've now changed our focus entirely over to recycling the water. And that may sound a bit sort of uh, uh, um, unsavoury to you, but actually if you look at the analogy that the Thames water is recycled 10 times uh, um, uh, from water treatment to freshwater abstraction, then there's nothing new in this sort of whatsoever. No, just, just I guess for um, people's uh, reference, the project is called Project Slurry, and, and obviously it starts from um, slurry and ends up in clear water. And you've just been at a uh, at a conference which sort of which exemplifies that process in front of everybody. I mean, the, what sort of reaction did it get? Well, we, we sort of, working on the, the basis that we are looking to recycle the water, we actually commissioned uh, sort of uh, uh, water bottles um, uh, and water, sort of mineral water that I sort of uh, uh, can assure you wasn't taken from the recycled <laughs> water. Uh, but it actually was a great uh, talking point and a great sort of introduction to discussion because we offered people water that was branded um, uh, for as uh, ARC, the Agricultural Research Centre, which they automatically assumed, obviously, that was uh, originated from slurry. But uh, obviously, we were on hand to assure them that that wasn't <laughs> the case. And the, the, the sort of official branding on the bottle sort of uh, 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 would, would actually exonerate sort of uh, ourselves from any sort of risk associated with giving recycled water to customers on our stand. Nice disclaimer there thrown in. I like that. Uh, John, thank you for that. That's been really interesting uh, insight into how you're using technology and particularly about how you're going on to um, um, educate the, the next generation of how the um, IoT and data and, and then future technologies can help the decision making um, within within the farming community because they're, they're one one of the things I said from the office the the number of, it always stuns me the number of people who are involved in the farm it now seems tiny you watch you know documentaries of you know like Victorian farms and all that sort of, and there was lots and lots of people on the farm just uh, casual labour and now you've got you see documentaries today where you've got one or two people on the farm doing so much work but but leveraging technology to a massive amount. Absolutely. So, thank. Be, before I let you go, I've got my um, my final three questions that I ask everybody who I interview. Um, if you have a particular book or paper or a reference, and it could be technical, or it, could, it could be a fictional book, uh, what do you, what do you, what is it? One thing you keep on going back to? 
I don't have a particular book, Barry, but uh, and, I, and I'm not sort of during working sort of uh, times. I'm not a big reader, a casual reader anyway. Read all a lot of a lot of technical sort of uh, pamphlets and information, sort of uh, obviously. But given a bit of time off and some holiday time, I'm sort of really like uh, sort of uh, reading. Uh, uh, autobiographies, in particular sports uh, sort of uh, autobiographies. Oh, cool. If you could go back in time and talk to young John, uh, what's, what advice would you give your, give your younger self? Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Sort of, uh, I think my career path has been sort of exciting. It's given me uh, a, a real mix of... Um, practical hands-on sort of involvement. I did a bit of traveling uh, before I settled down to, to sort of full-time employment as well. Um, and, and actually probably sort of, you know, uh, a bit of advice to sort of to my younger self would uh, just to spend a few more years traveling before settling down and working sort of full-time. Ah, fair play. So um, I haven't got around to the traveling thing yet in, in, in any great extent, so I'm hoping to get on to that. Um, perhaps when the children are slightly older. Um, and it, just because I'm almost too lazy to go and look up um, interesting people, who would you suggest I interview um, on a future podcast? Well, we work to, together occasionally, Barry, and uh, you've already met Dovrig from uh, Teledi Telescope. I think Dovrig would be sort of a great addition to your podcast. Great, I shall go and at, a, at our next meeting, I shall uh, grab him afterwards and, um, and see what he says. John, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's been really insightful. Um, just a reminder to everybody that the Ergonomics Conference is is ongoing at the moment. So we've had the uh, the online session, which was um, Monday and Tuesday of this week, where we covered um, sustainability, automation, defence, and a new X. The um, I was very privileged to be able to interview um, Brett John from the FSB. Um, and, and talk about how we are looking at sustainability in the future. There was also some other really interesting uh, papers on there. And if you've got access, it's all been recorded, so you can go back and see that. But that's only half the story because we have the physical meetup on the 25th and 26th of April in Birmingham, where I believe there's still tickets available. So if you're interested in going to look at things like uh, human factors in aviation, well-being, healthcare, then and, and non-technical skills, which we've talked about in agriculture on this podcast before. Um so we are also going to be taking this podcast uh, to Birmingham. So if you see us there, then come and I'm going to try and have a couple of drinks on hand so we can have a chat about what your interest in human factors is and how you're finding the conference. So all that remains for me to say is to, again, thank you to John for, um, for engaging with us and um, to you, the listener, and we will see you next time. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. Please do get in touch with your thoughts, questions, and comments. You can contact us on social media such as Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook at 1202 Podcast. See you next time. And remember, it's more than just common sense.